0: Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's Word. that's not for me but those of you that desire that growth in the Lord and to be men and women of substance you're in the right house Philadelphia Tabernacle pastor Josh and Susie we're in the right house I love this place like I love my own church I mean that you guys are amazing only God knows the tributaries that's gonna come from this place. I see churches rising up across the nations, across the nations in the world. I promise you, this is the last days. This is the time for the word of God to be spread. Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare the hand of God to be upon every single person that comes into this house, Lord, to be transformed, to be transformed, to be conformed into your image and your likeness, oh God, and let them go out into the world and say, I met a man who told me everything about me and what he did for me, he could do for you. God, do it in Philly, oh God, do it, God, in every place God you lead them and guide them in the name of Jesus and we promise to give you and only you all the glory and the honor God anoint this word and let it be set forth with fire in every single heart it's Mother's Day but you're like a mother God that gathers her chicks underneath Oh God your wings so for men and women God today let this place be set on fire with a baptism of faith in the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen and amen. (laughs) You may be seated. I'm going to speak about Hannah today. Annie didn't know that. And she kind of prophesied like a Hannah. 1 Verse Samuel verses 1, 1, in, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and 6 and 7. And this is how it says it in the message translation. It says Elkanah had two wives. Say, uh-oh. uh-oh. This is the real, for real housewives. This is reality TV, like right here. He had two wives. The first was Hannah, and the second was Peninnah. Penina had children and Hannah had none. Her rival, Hannah's rival, taunted her cruelly. In the NIV it says, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. The New King James says, provoked her severely to make her miserable. Rubbing it in, never letting her forget That God had not given her children. And it says, and this went on year after year. So before I go on in the story, I want to clear up some Christian myths. Some distorted thinking. Some misconceptions we might have as believers. Fact number one, there are circumstances in all our lives for many of us that may be chronic, they're chronic, they're continual. Some things are instant, but many things in our lives are chronic. Even though we're born again, blood washed, Holy Spirit filled, sanctified, some issues in our lives just don't seem to change. The truth is not everything is instantaneous. I love instant, but some things just have to run their course. Sometimes it's not your time, sometimes it's not your turn, but the Bible says though the vision tarry, wait for it, because there is an appointed time and every trial has an expiration date. Fact number two, some things just aren't fair. Even though we serve the Lord, Hannah couldn't bear children The Bible says because the Lord closed up her womb. Yet Penina, with her stank attitude, is a regular baby-making machine. (laughs) Fact number three, even though we serve the Lord, life can be very messy and our families can be a bit dysfunctional. But I'm here to tell you today that God specializes in messy and dysfunctional. Yes. I want us to look at the greats and the not-so-greats in the Bible. Let's talk about the first family. You talk about messy and dysfunctional. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Talk about it. And Cain murdered Abel before there was gangster rap, heavy metal, violent video games, violent uh, uh, movies over the fact that God liked Abel's sacrifice better than Cain's. And this was a God-fearing family, totally dysfunctional. Number two, Abraham, the father of our faith, his nephew was Lot, as in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot. His niece-in-law was Mrs. Lot, and she turns into a pillar of salt. Imagine having that as a testimony. Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren and the whole Jewish race dependent on her having a baby. So she waits a quarter of a century, 25 years, chronic. She gets so discouraged and frustrated that she pushes her husband to sleep with her maidservant, Hagar, and Hagar gets pregnant on the first try. (laughs) Not fair. And she gives birth to Ishmael, very messy. We sometimes have the notion that only perfect people can give birth to to God's plan, but God specializes in messy and dysfunctional. Let's look at Jesus' lineage. Instead of the religious elite, instead of his line coming through Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Leah, wives of the patriarchs, he comes through Tamar who disguises herself as a prostitute to get her inheritance from her father-in-law, who kind of put her on the back burner. And then there was Rahab, and she's a Gentile, and she's uh, the madam of a house of ill repute. She's a madam in a house of prostitution. And she becomes a believer, and she uh, uh, she, she marries, and she gives birth to Boaz. And Boaz ends up marrying Ruth, who was a Moabite, who becomes a believer. And they are the great-grandparents of King David. And then there's Bathsheba, who committed uh, uh, adultery with David. And she gives birth to Solomon. So I'm here today to say there's nothing too dirty. There's no situation too messy that God can't clean up. We've got to eradicate the notion that if I'm living right and if God truly loves me, then I'll never have a problem in the world. Or if I have a problem, that means God really doesn't love me. This is a story about a woman who loved God despite the fact that she had severe domestic troubles, despite despite the fact that she had a long season of drought and dysfunction and discouragement and drama. And she never took the posture that said, well, God hasn't an answered my prayer, so why should I serve him? Or, or, you know, why should I raise my hands in the presence of the Lord because I didn't get the raise that I wanted. No, Hannah was steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. She was not a quitter. She didn't serve the Lord because of what he could give her. She served the Lord because of who he was. And the Bible tells us that Hannah was barren. And in those days, it was equivalent to being a leper. As a matter of fact, you were better off being a leper because lepers lived in leper colonies with other lepers. But Hannah had the privilege of living right in town. And everywhere that Hannah went, her pain was sure to go. She didn't have the luxury of suffering in private. I'm sure when she went to the store alone, People would whisper, what's wrong with her? Was it God's judgment on her life? Be, there was a stigma attached to being barren. Barren was seen as, as a source of great disgrace. She was seen as an embarrassment, as damaged goods, as defective. And the big question was, was it was there sin in her life? And imagine the, the guilt. And to add insult to injury, the Bible says the Lord closed up her womb. In other words, it was God's doing. God was allowing this to prevail. And because she was barren, her husband, who was from a priestly line, the Kohathites, he was allowed to now take on another wife so that she could carry on the line. And now Penina becomes part of this very painful equation. And the Bible tells us that Hannah had children, plural, not a child, plural. Commentators believe she had at least four sons and two daughters. So Penina is spitting out those babies. And she became proud and arrogant. And she would look down on Hannah and, and, and so let's do the math, if she had six children, she had to be part of this painful equation for at least a decade. And to the natural eye, Penina was blessed and Hannah was not. That's the, that's the rational conclusion that we draw, which tells me don't ever judge who is blessed, By who is and who is not by outward circumstances. Just because somebody has a mink, money, a mansion, and a Mercedes doesn't mean that God loves them more than you. Jesus' mother, Mary, had her baby in a stable, and God said she was blessed amongst women so do not believe that false gospel that is out there that tells you that the more you have the more God loves you his favor is upon you that is not the favor of God the favor of God is that he sees you and that he is for you and he is with you and the Bible tells us every time every time they went up to the sanctuary of God They would go up to the sanctuary once a year. But I want you to put us, to uh, to put yourself in today's vernacular. So every time, that means every Sunday, every time they would go into the sanctuary, Hannah would expect to be taunted. That's what the Bible says. She would expect to be bullied. Her rival came with her into the house of the Lord. Penina was a tabernacle member, which shows me that some people come to perform the act of worship, but it's just an act. Yeah. Hannah's pain and grief was not confined to Ramah, where she lived. No, it followed her all the way to Shiloh, where the ark of the covenant, the very manifest presence of God, was kept. And for her, it was a 15-mile walk of shame. Shiloh should bring relief, but instead, it's just a reminder that God hasn't answered her prayer. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you could be so discouraged, you get to God's house, but you never get to God. You get to the house of God, but you never get to the God of the house. And here's the most ironic part. Year after year, she's a stone's throw away from the very presence of God. She goes up, but she doesn't go in. She goes up, but she never makes contact with the living God. Sometimes we go to church, but we don't go to war. Year after year, she came back home without getting what she needed from the only one that could give it to her. But the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 1, 9b, and this is my favorite scripture, it says one day Hannah stood up. One day Hannah stood up. One day Hannah changed her posture. One day Hannah got this sanctified aggression. One day Hannah thought if God did it for Rachel and Leah and Sarah, God can do it for me. One day, faith replaced discouragement, and now the promises of God became bigger, and Penina became smaller. The Bible tells us that she was filled with faith, and she goes into... She goes into the very tabernacle. She defies protocol. You see, when God fills you with faith, you do things that you would never otherwise do. You will run to the altar instead of sitting in your seat. You will say and declare things with your mouth that you've been afraid to say before. She is baptized with faith. And the Bible tells us without faith, it's impossible to please God. We cry tears, and God bottles those tears. But when those tears are put in a bottle and you say, God, I am crying now, but I know that I know that you can change my situation. You see, faith is the perfume of heaven. Faith is the perfume of heaven. When we have faith, it's like the nostrils of heaven open up and he says, oh, yes, oh, yes, I'm going to go on their behalf because they believe that I am able to do what they are asking me to do. And she runs into the tabernacle, she defies protocol. And when she gets inside, Eli the priest, he was sitting when he should have been standing. And because he was sitting, he has no discernment and he misjudges her. And I just say this on a side note, leaders, we need to be standing not sitting down at our post. Because isn't it true, every time you go to make a bold move to the Lord, there'll always be somebody that will accuse you because the enemy doesn't want you behind those curtains. God, the enemy does not want you to make contact with the living God. When you think of Mary of Bethany, the first time we see her, she's sitting at his feet and her sister Martha accuses her, Jesus, tell her to help me. Second time we see her, it's six days before the Passover. The Bible says now she's touching Jesus. She pours about a pint of nard, and Judas, the apostle, accuses her. Why this waste? Third time we see her, it's two days before the tabernacle. The Bible says she broke the bottle, and now she goes from empty-handed to touching his feet to now eye-to-eye with him, and she anoints his head. And the disciples that are in the area say, oh, What is she doing? This could have been given to the poor. You see, every time she made a step closer, there was an accuser that wanted to tell her, get back, Mary, get back, Hannah. No, but because she saw God as her defender and not her accuser, she was able to get closer and closer and closer to him. She goes inside and she asks for a son. And you know the story, God gives her a prophet. And the Bible goes on to tell us that she has three uh, three more sons and two more daughters. But I love this because the Bible tells us that that day before she ever got pregnant, she left with her face no longer downcast. That's what I am praying today, that we have a celebration dinner. After this meeting, even though we have not seen with our eyes what we have asked God to do, and the Bible tells us that she dedicates him to God. Whatever God gives you, give it back to him, because no one could do what God could do. When you put it in his hands. And I love this. Mothers of young children. The Bible tells us that she dedicated him to God. She gave him. And she put him in the temple. And year after year she dressed him in a linen ephod. And the Bible tells us she adjusted it to size. Year after year when he was little she dressed him as a priest. Long before he ever did anything priestly. And year after year she adjusted that ephod to size. Year after year as we speak to our children children as we tell them and declare over them what God has in store for them. Not telling them what they're not and how bad they are. Tell them that they're God's child and God has a purpose and a plan for their life to prosper them and not to harm them. To give them a hope and a future. We have to dress our children as priests because if they belong to you, then they belong to the Lord. Let me say this. Many of us to relate to Hannah, you don't have to be childless to know barrenness. Barrenness is the absence of God's intervention in any situation. And where there's barrenness, there's heartache. So I'm going to tell you my story. I love the Lord. I got saved at 25 years old. I was a crazy person. I did drugs from the age of 10 to 25 years old. I've been arrested, I've been hit by a car, I tried to commit suicide. I was born at two and a half pounds, but God obviously had a plan. So I have, I get saved miraculously, my husband and I, and we love the Lord with every fiber, of our being. I said this last night, every time I am in a service, it's like it's my first time because I know what it is to live in the streets. I know what it is to live going to clubs at 11, 12 years old, after hour clubs. So how dare I not be in the presence of the Lord and think, oh, I never thought, oh, another club. Well, I will never think, oh, another time in the presence of the Lord. It's always fresh. It's always new. It's always amazing because you never know what God can do. So I raised my kids, and the way I live at church, we become pastors, we are the first church that comes out of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, and God was so faithful to us, but now I have my children, and they are growing up, and all of a sudden, my oldest son becomes a preteen, and kind of like Chrissy, There's transformers, there's more than meets the eye. Maybe someone can help me. They're changing right before your eyes and the little children that went to VBS and knew all their scriptures, all of a sudden you start to see deadness in their eyes and you see that something is not right. And because sin is infectious, it started to travel down to my middle son and then my younger son. And they're getting older and older. And it was a very dark time and my house was full of spiritual children but but void of spiritual life. And I always said, God, if my kids aren't gonna serve you, take them home now because I'd rather know they're tucked away in heaven than to be out there in the world. And here we are, we're pastors, and I felt ashamed and, and disgraced, and I kind of felt like, you know, maybe we should step down from ministry. You know, we, you know as kids, your, your pastors' kids, they sit right in the front. And, you know, during the worship service, You know, I would open my eye and one would escape and then two would escape and three would escape. But we we have a church and we have a balcony and everybody's eye was on me so I couldn't run after them. And I couldn't beat them the way I wanted to beat them, right in that front row, like hold on to them and say, don't you dare leave this building. So every time I was in the house of the Lord, my pain would follow me. I felt ashamed and I felt disgraced. And on top of it, I'm the head of the intercessory prayer ministry. I learned how to pray from being at Brooklyn Tabernacle. So I remember when I used to head the youth and the, uh, we would would have the youth meeting till 10 o'clock on a Friday night. And then after the youth meeting was over, the little old people would come. Now I'm a little old person. (laughs) And they would say, Sister Maria, I'm praying for you, and I used to think to myself, that's nice. But, you know, little old people, but I'm doing the most important thing. I'm speaking. And then we start our church, and then I realize, wait a minute, something's missing. My husband's speaking, but the words, they're like, they have no energy. They're falling off the platform. And I started to realize what was missing was intercession. And the Holy Spirit said to me one day, I'm gonna make you an intercessor. I said, me? I mean, truth be told, God, I could pray in the prayer meeting with other people, but when I'm home alone, I can't even pray for two minutes straight. I'm OCD. You know, I sit down and I have all the intention to pray. But then, all of a sudden, I see the piece of lint in the corner. And there I am, off to get the piece of lint. And then I sit down again, and you know, Lord God, oh, did I get the mail? Let me see if I got the mail. (laughs) Then I'm back there, and then, oh, yes, Lord, here I am. I want to intercede. Did I defrost the chicken? I have to make chicken now. Tonight for dinner, and day after day, and month after month, and year after year. I had no concentration, anybody like that in the house. But then all of a sudden God said, I'm gonna make you an intercessor. And he showed me a clock in my kitchen. And I have this big clock and with pretty letters and pretty color. And he says, you see that, that clock? I mean, it's like, yes, Lord, how can you miss it? He says, you see the little mechanism in the middle of the clock? He says, nobody ever buys a clock because of the mechanism. I mean, you never go to the store and go, ooh, what a mechanism. (laughs) Gotta have that clock. Look at that mechanism. He says, but without that mechanism, that clock is useless. He says, that's what intercession is to the house of God. That's what intercession is to your life. He says, you never buy a house because of the boiler room. You never go, honey, I gotta have that house. Did you see that boiler room? But you know what, when it's cold, all eyes go to the boiler room. And you know a boiler needs three things. It always needs a flame, it always needs fresh water, and it always needs fresh supply of oil. And that's what we need. We always need a flame. We always need the fresh water of God's word. And we always need fresh supplies of oil. That's why you must come to the prayer meeting. You cannot just be a Sunday Christian. Unless you're working, you need to make your way here because here's where you get the fresh supply of oil. So I get a group and we start to pray And even before my kids became teenagers, we were praying, God, give us a youth ministry. God, give us a youth choir. And I would feel like the heavens were like brass. I would hear her voice saying, that's not for you. That's not for your little church. And I would feel like, you know what, you were were a drug addict. You're lucky you're saved. Anybody feel like that? lucky you're saved and we would pray and we would pray and we would pray and my kids now are getting big and now they're teenagers and I would run to the altar and I would cry buckets at the altar but nothing changed because I didn't change See, I would pick up those same old carnal weapons, like nagging, self-righteousness, arguing, instead of the weapons that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. But one day, I'm reading my Bible, I'm sitting at my kitchen table, And I read from the book of Hebrews, and it says this, Christ is the head of his house, and we are his house. And that day, that struck me in a way that I never saw before. We are his house. He doesn't rent from us. I know we're his temple, and that's a little fancier, but he's our, we are his house. And then the Holy Spirit said to me, and my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. I said, what? I'm the head of the prayer ministry, don't you know? And he says, no, you've made it a den of thieves. He said, stop praying nice mother's prayers for your children. You're trying to put out a nuclear war with the BB gun. Stop saying they're good boys. No, they're not. Stop saying it's just a phase. No, it's not. He said, you need to fast and pray a life for a life. I got up from the table, and I'm the kind of person when God tells me something, I say, yes, Lord. But this time I felt annoyed, and I didn't understand why. I felt like, God, I have done everything I can do. I don't understand what's wrong. And I, I kind of said, God, I, I believe you say Billy Graham son because that's Billy Graham. And I also said, I believe you save Pastor Simbola's daughter because that's Pastor Simbola. but I don't believe that you really save my children. And then I realized that faith wasn't a fruit of the Spirit. I didn't have to plant it and wait for it to grow and say the three right phrases in the three right order. No, faith was a gift from God, and if I didn't have the gift, I could go to the giver of the gift. I could confess, God, I need faith. I need a baptism of faith. And I promise you that day, God baptized me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And I started to pray and go to war, a life for a life. For nine months, I did not eat. I ate lettuce and an egg and a broth. I felt like I was carrying my children again in my womb a second time, but I didn't only do it on my own. I went to church and I got the intercessory prayer ministry and we got a big piece of oak tag and we drew a bullseye and we put all the kids' names in the bullseye, all kids from the youth, because at that time, none of them were serving the Lord. They had no interest. And I'm the kind of person, I believe in the last days, God will pour out his spirit on all flesh. And God, youth ministry is more than going bowling. That our children could prophesy and dream dreams and see visions. And there were people in church, you know those private people? We don't want Jose's name in the bullseye. I was like, suit yourself. If I have to take out an ad in the daily news, my kids will serve the Lord. And we went to war. And all of a sudden now, instead of me weeping over what I didn't have, I was baptized with this faith. And all of a sudden, my kids would come home and I'd say, excuse me, I gotta look in that pocket. And I would pull out a (laughs) But I had no reason to nag. I'd say, have a good day call my kids if they were at somebody's house, and I'd say, you better put down that magazine. And now they're getting scared because now they know that God is real. Now they know that God is real. And long story short, God saved them one by one. And the youth minist- ministry that I was praying for years, I did not know that I was raising up the youth ministers right in my own home. They became my own children. And my oldest son gets saved. And the minute he gets saved, he starts praying from the book of Ezekiel. And the Holy Spirit said, you have spoon fed him the word of God all of his life, and his word never returns void. And once it's ignited with the Holy Spirit, rivers of living water started to come out. And we had the biggest youth ministry on the East Coast. People came from near and far. Buses would come from the East Coast. And your pastor was one of the speakers there. And he will bear witness, packed, Latin kings giving their life to Christ. They became our deacons. I am telling you what God did. And all of our children became pastors. Now, normally, we would end this meeting maybe joining prayer groups and praying for one another. And I believe that you need to find people that will go to war with you Find mothers and fathers, join with other people that need children to be uh, saved and changed. Because God is able to break every demonic strategy. Listen, we need a revolution. We need a generation of believers that will not give up, they will stand up. I love this, Nehemiah, he says, after I looked at the situation, I stood up, and I said, don't be afraid of their faces. Fight for your sons, fight for your daughters. Look at this, judges, I, Deborah, stood up. A mother in Zion. Phineas stood up, Psalm 106. And the plague was checked so we never should give up we have to stand up but i want us to leave here baptized with faith today because you're going to leave here celebrating god is going to do something i truly believe it look what king david says oh magnify the lord with me let us exalt his name together. Listen, we can't make God any bigger than he is, but we could make him bigger in our own understanding. That word magnify means to make great and powerful. We need to make God greater in our own understanding. And when there's a group of believers that are baptized with the Holy Spirit, there is a multiplied anointing. That's why we need to gather together because God is bigger than our problems. He's bigger than any opposition. He's bigger than any disease. He's bigger than any attack. He's bigger than our frustrations. He's bigger than Monday's murmurings, Tuesday's trials, Wednesday's weepings, Thursday's trauma friday's fickleness saturday's sadness because today is supernatural sunday he's bigger than our struggle i want to tell you who god is and then they're going to come back and they're going to sing and pastor's going to get up but listen god is the commander of the lord's army He is the Father to the fatherless. He is the God of the whole earth. He is the God who does wonders. He is the God who forgives. He is El Elyon, the Most High God. He is El Olam, the Everlasting God. He is El Roy, the God who sees. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is Yahweh. He is the Lord, is my salvation. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is God, my provider. He is Jehovah Gomalah, the God of recompense. He is Jehovah Makedeshem. The Lord is my sanctifier he is jehovah Mackay, the god who strikes he is jehovah nisi the lord is our banner he is jehovah Rapha, the lord our healer jehovah rohi the lord my shepherd he is jehovah sabbat the lord of hosts he is jehovah shalom the god our peace he is jehovah shama the lord who is present he is jehovah siskenu he is the lord our righteousness he is the god who hears my prayers he is the exceedingly great joy he's my hiding place he's my shield he's my keeper he's my fortress he's the shade at my right hand he's a very present help in time of trouble he holds the keys of hell and death he's our holy advocate he is our defender he is the author and the finisher of our faith his name is jesus his name is jesus his name is jesus